Hello and welcome to Flowing Backwards, a podcast by me, Phil Peake, and the man in Mosley, Ian Four Candles Moss. And yes, we're still recording it on WhatsApp. So, be prepared for the usual pop squeaks and blurbs, and mm, it's a bit better than it's been recently. Now, this episode is episode 10, it says two parts. First part, confusion part one. So sit back, relax, and my phone's dinging. (laughs) Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, people. Uh, Right, this episode is going to be a biggie. Um, It, um, we have, um, done the uh hamsters reunion um and now i am uh bandless and i'm in the middle 80s and um and things start going awry because i haven't got a uh, an anchor basically um but first of all let's start with some words and i wrote this yesterday and i'm very pleased with it it's a it's a little old to the birth of rock and roll and little richard in particular and it's called cavalcade of lunatics and it goes like this one two three four there was a cavalcade of lunatics who had been a laughing stock their moment had arrived made vividly alive through the birth of rock They were loud, weren't pushed around, full of spit and spunk and snot. Blue Rinse Brigade saw the mad parade and fainted at the shock. Personalities with energy, chanting slogans, gibberish. It was a cold that did explode and it was a tasty dish. After blandness and boredom, it was aggressive, animalistic and new. The Georgia Peach, in his razor screech, shouted, Bamalam, Bamaloo, using the noise as a battering ram and smashing the doors open. Bulls inside a china shop, all the dainty things get broken. Barriers fall, and with flamboyance, express rebellion and defiance. Bamalam, Bamaloo, Bamalam, Bamaloo, Bamalam, Bamaloo, we love you too. Bamalam, Bamaloo. You could be anything on earth, be purple, yellow, or black. The son of a sharecropper raised in an outback shack. Mixing up the black and white of country and R&B. Dressed up in lace and leather and juvenile delinquency. The sound was indestructible, embroidered with squeals, bombastic and brash with vulgar flash, flaunted, unconcealed. It was the golden age of rock and roll, but the bobbies arrived, a motley crew, goons who crooned pretty tunes, no bamalam bamaloo. Use the noise as a battering ram, smashing the doors open, bulls inside a china shop. All the dainty things are broken. Bamalam, bamaloo, bamalam, bamaloo, bamalam, bamaloo, we love you too, bamalam, bamaloo.
There you go. Um, I got quite into that, didn't I? I hope you enjoyed it. Right, let's get on because, as I say, there's a lot to do. Um, this is uh, this is like um, a box set today. We're uh, taking in a few years here. Okie dokie. Right. Um, speed. Speed was my drug of choice. And um, at this t point in time, I've, um, I've moved, as you may recall, back into my parents' house. My father had been very, very upset when he's come to see the squalor that I'm living in, uh, in the house next to the boneyard, and in tears begged me to return home. So I'm there, I'm living with my parents. And uh, a regular Saturday morning um, exercise was I would, um, I, would, I would take some speed, some amphetamine sulfate, and I would um, get the buzz and go to Ashton Underline. And there's a record shop there um, run by a fella called John Hillel and um, there was racks and racks of second-hand records and what had started to fascinate me was these there was thousand upon thousand of singles I think there were 35 pence each and three for a pound uh, very generous John um, and in amongst these it, John was was a big big northern soul man and anything that didn't pass his exacting standards of, um, of near mint condition um, would get put in these cheap boxes. And I became um, slowly, at first, uh, interested in these Northern Soul records that were in there. Started picking one or two up and realised how much I liked them. Uh, it was an antidote for the music that was happening around me, which I didn't like a lot of, the sort of fag end of punk and new romantic and new pop and everything was shiny or aggressive all over the top and didn't seem to have any real emotion when I was picking up these amazing soul records that were full of emotion and full of um, dynamics and movement. And um, over, over a the course of uh, you know several months of, of of speeding off my box and sorting through records for three or four hours at a time i built up um quite a a good collection and um and then um the next thing of course is is to um is to, is to go out there and and discover what i'd been missing now i've missed the heyday of of northern soul that had been 70s and we're in in the 80s here but um northern soul is one of those strange things because it has never been particularly overground it never disappears nobody ever really gets truly sick of it and there remained a very very vibrant scene with all-nighters plenty to go to um and so started going to soul nights and all-nighters um I remember dragging um, Bobby and Stephen and Anne um, along to uh, an all-nighter at the Morecambe Dome uh, in in the midst of winter. And there was as as we arrived, this storm was looming. And somewhere at about three or four o'clock in the morning, uh, as the heavens had been uh, opened for several hours, 
the dome flooded or the dance floor uh, looked like a duck pond. Uh, one or two brave souls wallowed around in it, but the rest of us simply sat there uh, looking at, uh, at this depressing spectacle uh, with Jackie Wilson, etc., in our ears, uh, shivering before it was it was time for the trains to begin and we could go home. Uh, better experiences were to be had at some of the old dayers at, at the Ritz. I loved it. I mean, the Ritz is such a great, iconic venue anyway, and, and it had a, a, a sprung dance floor, which is absolutely brilliant. It's made for, for Northern Soul. And at the old dayers, you would often get live acts. I remember going um, to a, a Rick Tick old dayer, um, which was great. Rick Tick was one of the labels from Detroit that Motown um, swallowed up and uh, stymied the careers of um, of the act on Rick Tick. So there would be no competition to uh, the more established Motown artists. What well, Al Kent played uh, and Lou Ragland. I remember seeing Lou Ragland. It was fantastic. Um, really, I should have played... Uh, Lou Ragland's I Travel Alone uh, to illustrate this because that's such a great record. But I didn't. The other place that I went to a lot was uh, the Carousel on Plymouth Grove. And there were great all-nighters there. The Carousel would turn into the International too uh, a few years later. And it was a great place. It was, uh, again, it had a sprung dance floor. It was fantastic. And they had all the best DJs, the, the legendary DJs, you know, Dave Evisons and uh, Russ Wynn Stanley's, you know, and, and Roger Serling's were all DJing at these all-nighters. And they were really busy. They were really, really good. I had one of, um, perhaps, you know, you don't, offer, you don't get many truly euphoric moments in your life. But I had, I had a moment of true euphoria there in the carousel. I was there one night and I was speeding heavily, which which, which I did. Um, and uh, I'd been drinking vodka, which is quite a speedy drink as well. And uh, on onto the decks, I think Roger Serling played it, was um, Sandy Sheldon's I'm Gonna Make You Love Me, which I absolutely adore. It's just so energetic. And um, it could be intimidating dancing amongst all these people who danced for years and uh, were technically very brilliant. Um, and, and so sometimes I, I didn't dance, but I just couldn't control myself. And I got on the floor, on the sprung dance floor, speeding off my box. And it was one of those moments where it was just clear white light. It was just, I was just swept up and taken heavenwards. It was absolutely magical moment that, that you can't recapture absolutely fantastic i also started djing a northern soul night i had had some northern soul friends uh stevie b who who dj'd at the carousel sometimes he was well respected and and another guy jed and we uh we set up a a northern soul night that we held above uh in the upstairs room of the pub in denton the cock and we ran that for for a while but Eventually, what happens always with me is I don't like 
strict genres. Um, I like a little bit of diversity. And I was sneaking in a few tracks that were a bit funkier than were allowed. I remember playing a, an instrumental by James Brown, Shades of Brown, and a great record called um, Suffering City by Johnny Copeland. And people didn't like it, started moaning. And I began to think, fuck you, fucking telling me what to play. Um, Anyway, the speed was was all getting too much as well. And and through all this, I'm still attempting to play football. Um, as, as I said, I'd, I'd lost my spark. But what I did have was great loyalty. And I would always turn up through hell and high weather and uh, and, and run around and try my best. And, uh, and at this particular time, I was playing for a team run by uh, my friend Dennis Downworth, who I've mentioned before. The Dennis, the flamboyant... Um, bisexual antique dealer it was it was great we wore this um this all green strip i recall and um the shorts were always ripping and he got um, his girlfriend who uh, was a machinist to sew them up and she sewed uh, all the shorts up with little pink and yellow bows on them which was <laughs> which was lovely uh, the opposition looked at us a little bit strange when we turned out and i remember in this green strip once going out and dyeing my hair green with food colouring on, on the Saturday night and then turning up to play football the day after. And, and as I began to sweat, the food colouring ran. And by half time, I was completely green on my face was green. I looked like the Incredible Hulk. Anyway, uh, I was playing football for, for Dennis one day after a, a speeding binge. I think I'd not slept in three days and... Uh, perhaps eating a bowl of cornflakes and a bowl of soup in that time. And uh, it's not healthy, that sort of thing. And I, was, I attempted to run and every muscle in my body simply seized up and I hit the floor in agony and my muscles were expanding and contracting at an alarming rate. My heart was racing. I seemed to be bounding on the floor and uh, they, had, they had to come and... Uh, pull me off and Dennis uh, who knew what was going on screamed and screamed at me uh, telling me I was I was ruining my life I was going to kill myself uh, and then I, I got home and I took to bed but the contractions didn't stop I was really ill and my dad half in sorrow and half in anger came up and he screamed at me as well and um, the um, the come downs, generally speaking, were getting too much from the speed. And, and it wasn't a conscious decision, but it, it just started becoming too much of a price to pay. And so speed started biting the dust. Um, I stopped. I stopped using it so much. Anyway, to illustrate that, well, let's play some music. Let's play uh, the dance that made me euphoric. This is Sandy Sheldon on OK Records. I'm going to make you love me.
Um, because of my behaviour and, and the drug thing and generally, and the fact that you, you know, you're as a young man, you don't want to be living with your parents. Um, I uh, moved shortly after this up to Glossop. Um, I'd been working um, in, in Didsbury, as I said, but then uh, Ron, who I worked for, had, in a, had, had bought a shop for his son, Robert, who I'd long ago shared a flat with, and it was failing, and I had been transported to Robert's shop to try and save it, but I didn't. Um, it bit the dust inevitably, and I was out of work anyway. And then I got the chance to move into uh, a house in Glossop. Uh, and a friend, another Anne, on the train, uh, was moving with work to Fort William in Scotland and leaving her house behind. And uh, she rented me a house very reasonably. Um, and it was really, really nice. Um, it was nice living in Glossop. I did lots of walking around. Um, I kind of, I had no money, um, but I would uh, scour the uh, fruit and veg shops at the end of the day and pick up some cheap courgettes and aubergines and things and make uh, ratatouille that I would live off at two or three days for a time. And uh, there was no television, I remember, in the house, uh, but there's always there was always music. Um, the, the, the trouble was I couldn't make any money. It was, you know, there was, um, there was a recession on Thatcher's, um, Britain wasn't a happy place. There wasn't much in the way of jobs in Glossop and I didn't know enough people to, um, to call in any favors. You know, sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, uh, and, and so I couldn't get any work in Glossop and that was the problem I would um, spend hours walking you know to, to, to kill time um, I did have um, I did have, have a few friends I had a friend called Barry who was very good who lived uh, in nearby Hadfield um, or Oyston Vasey uh, as uh, it became to the outside world and Barry was good Barry would would often call and and take me for uh, a few pints in the star and on a Thursday we would play five aside and then we would head into Hadfield have a few drinks and invariably end up back in this flat that Barry was sharing with his mate and we would take uh, take LSD and trip the night away um, I remember the, the I remember them playing um, Pink Floyd's The Wall I think I would I think I've redecorated the front room with vomit um, at my repulsion of it. Um, and anyway, it was sort of um, it was it was nice fun uh, that and and I, and I'll always uh, remember Barry's friendship uh, from that. But I was something had to happen. I was just in a limbo. Anyway, um, I'd had friends who had gone and worked in uh, the south of France on boats in a canon Joan Lapin um, and I sought some advice and decided to relocate to uh, the south of France and get a job on the boats um, and that was me as far as I was concerned I was emigrating um, I had a, a path 
where I would get myself uh, some some job and eventually get myself on uh, on on some cruiser and end up in the USA or, or somewhere. The world was was my oyster, and uh, I didn't see what could go wrong. So I got some advice of when to go, and I was told I needed to go at the beginning of March and be there in time for when um, the boats were being prepared for the sea. Get some work uh, cleaning and painting and doing odd jobs on the boats, and then my face would be seen, and I would easily get work then as a deckhand. That seemed all very good. And so I uh, I told Anne I was leaving um, some friends uh, in, in a pub, had a uh, leaving party for me, uh, a big grand farewell. And uh, on, on the day that the miners' strike ended, the 3rd of March, 1985, uh, the, the, which, which seemed a good point to, to go, um, such was my repulsion of Thatcher's Britain, um, I set off and um, I, I got myself, where did I go from? I presume I went from Dover. Anyway, I, on, on the ferry, um, I met uh, this elderly gentleman who was struggling to open a carafe of wine and uh, I showed him how to do it and we sat down and um, and we shared wine and, and we talked. We talked politics and, and we were like-minded and he, he told me he um, he had been a prisoner of war and he'd met a French girl on his um, on on his liberation and um, he'd stayed in France and he was now quite um, well to do. He, he owned a farm just outside uh, Paris. Anyway, we talked and we got on really really well uh, on on the ferry crossing and then he ended up on the same train. As, as me, although he was only going as far as Paris, I was going through to um, to Cannes on on the south coast, and um, he, he put it to me, why don't you come and work for me? There's a small bungalow that you can live in. There is pay, you know, and you can you can build a life there. Um, I'd got my mind set, and I'd got such a vision of how my life was going to be in south of France on the boats uh, that I declined. And, and that was probably silly and certainly unwise that I didn't take um, take his address. Anyway, he got off the train. He shook my hand and palmed me £20, which was a considerable sum, really, uh, for a complete stranger to give you. And, um, and then I travelled on through to uh, Cannes, I remember I, I was singing John Cale's um, Half Past Trance all, all the way there to myself. Uh, anyway, I get to Cam and it's beautiful. Um, and I've got a bag on my back and I, um, I go wandering down amongst all the boats and there are thousands of boats and I walk and walk all around Cam and it is evident that I'm too early. There is not a single boat um, with a person on it. 
they're all closed. They're so close for the winter. Uh, I walk up the coast into Joanne Le Pan. You know, it's it's the same story. I find one boat with one person who who tells me what I fear. You're too early. You're three or four weeks too early, um, which is a, a nightmare scenario. Anyway, uh, by this time, dusk has set in, and I'm walking around uh, as lonely as a cloud, and I'm aware that there's there's this sort of minibus that keeps circling me with these people looking at me. Um, it's 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 apparent. It's a bit strange. Anyway. It stops, and uh, I am um, I'm approached by one of the people who, who is very, very jolly and insists that I join them for a drink. And, and I explain, I've got no money, you know, but they say, oh, we're buying money, no problem. And it's a party of, of 12 Belgian men, probably all in the 30s and 40s, um, and they buy me lots of drink, but I'm a bit off put because one of them keeps leering at me and and smiling and saying, saying opening his arms out and saying, Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, she a great woman. And um, I know that's not a very Belgian sort of accent, but if, if you take me point, those were the words. Um, and again, I was revolted by that. And I also feared that um, they were they were viewing me as some sort of a sexual plaything. In fact, I'm almost certain they were viewing me as some sort of sexual plaything. So uh, I got off. And uh, um, then I set about finding somewhere to sleep the night. And, and I, I sort of squirreled into a space um, outside a, a shut down cafe and uh, attempted to sleep. And it was as, as nice as the day had been. This is still early March. It was freezing. It was horrible. Anyway, I got to the morning and hard decision needed to be making. I'd got no next to no money. I'd got three weeks to wait before there was likely to be any work on boats. Uh, if, I, if I chose to rough it, um, I was going to look around. Nobody was going to give me a job. I would look, look like a... A terrible old tramp in three weeks time if i survived uh, and so i got myself to the train station and got a, a, a train to paris and um with what money i had got i booked a hotel and i had four uh four nights in paris where you know i was hardly running wild but i had i could afford a cheap bottle of wine and i could just walk the streets and soak up the atmosphere and then with my tail between my legs I returned to the UK and phoned Anne up and said, Anne, is it okay if I move back in the house? And that was the plus point. I was, I'd not lost my house and said, yeah, that's great. And so I'd got a roof over my head and I was back in the UK, back on the Thatcher's Britain and uh, the great chronicler of Thatcher's Britain at the time was Jerry Dammers and the special AKA and uh, Britain was a horrible racist place, and Jerry Dammers and Special AKA released a single called Racist Friend, and we're going to play it.
I still had the same problem that I was unemployed on a very low income, just on, on a social security benefit in, um, in, in Glossop. Uh, help came when um, Bobby, who had a house in Denton, split up with his girlfriend and uh, said, why don't you move in with me? Um, that was That was great. It, uh, it got me into a place where I knew people. Um, 
my benefits increased because I was now a board and lodger and and it was fun but after um after a little while of of, of then simply enjoying myself we played tennis a lot would you believe we were we were terrible Bobby was better than me but I was absolutely terrible we played a lot of tennis and uh, and drank a lot of wine and uh I painted uh, my bedroom in in psychedelic colors in um in this vinyl kind of thing it was it was horrific people people hated it um the next person oh and i'm going to get a fire ahead so right go back zing 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 i then um was re-employed by by ron in in didsbury so i was working again and um things things were, were okay um my brother I, I was seeing a, a, a bit of and he persuaded me to um go to a karate class with him he'd he'd recently started this karate class it was full contact karate which is um like a cross between uh, kickboxing uh, boxing and outright ultraviolence, basically. I've never seen anything like it. Um, anyway, I had one lesson uh, of of this uh, full contact karate on a Thursday night, and then on the Saturday it was Live Aid. Now, I don't want to sound churlish or cynical, but I'd no interest in seeing Live Aid. It all seemed like a big smog club to me. I didn't like the makeup of it, and I trusted the motive, distrusted the motives of uh, a lot of the people involved. I couldn't, for instance, fathom why um, the Boomtown Rats were playing, why Marilyn was on the record. Marilyn, simply because he was by George's friend, when, for instance, the um, probably the most popular group in the country, Madness, were nowhere to be seen. Um, I didn't, I didn't like it. It just seemed cliquey and horrible, and I didn't want to see it. And Bobby was in agreement. So on the Saturday of Live Aid for opening time, we got ourselves into the centre of Ashton Underline in the theatre tavern next door to the theater uh ashton tameside theater and started drinking and we determined to drink ourselves through the day without seeing live aid which we proceeded to do we we weaved our unsteady way uh homewards on foot pub by pub from ashton underline to denton probably about four miles and a lot of pubs and a lot of beer and we arrived in the centre of Denton probably around 10 o'clock at night, just as Live Aid was finishing, I presume, in a place called the King's Head, which was um, had undergone a transformation and was this sort of neon disco bar. Um, this was where things went awry, because uh, emboldened by my one karate lesson, Somebody came over to say, hello, what have you been up to? And I told them about the karate. And then threw a punch at the face, pulling it at the last moment, so as not to strike them. Said, there, trained to miss. 
Oh dear. So, um, I really enjoyed that. And, and so it carried on. Everybody who came to speak to me or I spoke to, I would throw a punch at and pull it. Train to miss, train to miss. What a good jolly jape it all was. And so I was so emboldened that I was throwing punches at practically everybody and pulling them, not hitting them, going, train to miss, train to miss. It's great. And then the door opened and uh, through it were coming a guy called Steve and his uh, girlfriend and then a huge guy behind him who I didn't know and his girlfriend or wife. Anyway, of course, trained to miss, only this time I didn't miss. And Steve, who is a local hard case nightclub doorman, um, I felt this sickening crunch. And then I walked as almost in slow motion, his, uh, his eye his eyebrow split and blood started cascading from this open wound. His girlfriend screamed. He was in shock. And this monster of a man behind him, who it transpired was a um, gypsy um, bare knuckle prize fighter, um, attempted to attack me. Unfortunately, he tripped over Steve and ended up on the floor. Dennis Downworth, who we've mentioned before, has watched all this and finds it hysterically funny and collapses in hysterics on top of the gypsy prize fighter. Several other people try to get involved and it ends up in this huge melee that I'm stood apart from. Um, and then quite wisely and a bit cowardly, uh, I think, I'll deal with this another day. And I simply sidestepped this melee of, of writhing, uh, scratching bodies, this this mound of hatred, and, and walked home. Fortunately, um, when I did see Steve again, he was uh, he was very forgiving. Why it had been such a uh, a problem at the time was he just got engaged and they were out celebrating his engagement. But he said, at least I'll always remember my engagement. Um, and, and so that was, uh, that was live aid. Um, and was, you know, there's a, there's a danger that I sound like I'm always being a complete arsehole. Um, well, I wasn't, I was, I was still interested in things. And so we're going to have a musical in, interlude now because one of the things that was happening was this, this sort of music from America that you weren't hearing much of, no, but it started to seep through this, this music. So I think we're going to play two tracks together because what we're sort of at the birth of techno and the birth of house, which are going to shape um, the rest of the decade and, and the next decade after it. So we're going to listen to um, Derek Mays, Chaos Beyond Chaos, which was coming out of Detroit, out of the gay clubs of Detroit, techno, and Marshall Jefferson's Move Your Body uh, on Tracks Records from Chicago. Uh, so let's have a musical interlude while I gather my thoughts and uh, tell you what else was happening.
continued with the um with the karate and soon i'm like the kung fu kid and uh, and i'm taking it, um, it very seriously and i've decided to kind of clean up my act a little bit certainly during the week i'm cleaning up my act and uh, every thursday i think it might have been twice a week we trained but but certainly every thursday i would um i would run to ashton as I said three or four miles away then partake in karate class and then run back home to the house I was sharing with with, with Bobby. Uh, and when by the time I got home, um, Bobby and his friends who are sort of they were all dope smokers, you know, there's a bit all that, and and they were into things that I weren't into. They would sit there stoned watching Coronation Street and stuff, you know, and it, I just I just didn't get it. It was like another planet to me. And I was a bit surly and weird. Anyway, so, um, and I looked, certainly looked, by the time I run home, a byproduct of that was I suffered badly from jogger's nipple. And I used to wear this white T-shirt. By the time I got home, all the front of it was covered in blood where my nipples had bled. Uh, so, so it was a pretty sort of shocking sight. I'll sweat and blood coming in and, and not speaking to anybody and i would go in this back room where where i got a record player and my records and i would put on a captain beefheart's trout mass replica because i knew they'd all hate it and uh, i would uh, carry on training doing push-ups and um you know and shadow boxing and things and occasionally one would walk through on the way to the toilets i'd just walk in and try and make conversation and uh and not get very far usually but one of them was a guy called simon and he was uh, he was determined to uh, to be my friend and uh, he he used that um, that subtle fail safe on me flattery and um, and 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 told me that I was great and and he really wanted to see me so i said okay you know you can come come out with me we'll go out tomorrow so we went to the hacienda i remember and uh, and he became um, like a little puppy dog, following me around. And uh, he, he he was all right. Was 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 Simon? He was younger than me, and he had a car, which was which was really good. Um, and and he became a, a sort of companion. He would go out with me, and we'd go to uh, you know, there's the hacienda going on, but more but more. The, the main place that I would go to at this point was the boardwalk. The boardwalk had, had opened, which wasn't far from the Hacienda, much smaller, and it was great, the boardwalk. There was a scene at the boardwalk. I really liked the place. We'd also go to the International, where they had a lot of really good bands on. Roger Eagle ran the International Club. Lots of really good bands, but it wasn't like a club. If you know what I mean. There was no sense of community. The boardwalk was was different in that um, sense. And I used to go to the boardwalk um, a lot and saw lots of great, great, great things at the boardwalk. I remember seeing uh, like back there who were fantastic. The, one of the best things I've ever seen in my life was at the boardwalk. I, I remember going to see uh, 
MC 900 foot Jesus and DJ Zero. And that was in absolutely incredible. Absolutely. I've never, ever seen anything like it. It was fantastic. But there was also a lot of crap. We're in the mid 80s. <coughs> and what has happened is the Smiths have occurred. And on, in, on their own, that would have been fine. But uh, because of their success, they become enormously influential. And a lot of pale imitations spring up. And there's all these floppy, fringed, um, woolly jumpered, bed-wetting wankers in bands singing songs about fictitious girlfriends called Victoria and, you know, Dorothy and all sorts of things. <coughs> and they're awful. They're absolutely terrible. Can't stand them. Equally, there's another bunch of, of um, wet blankets who have discovered Captain Beefheart and are all trying to be angular and playing very blatant Captain Beefheart rip-offs. And uh, the boardwalk is where they play. And I shouldn't have done it. And I know that. Uh, if I saw any of them now, I would apologise because it wasn't my place to. But I was pretty screwed up because I wasn't in a band anymore. And I was missing it so much. I'd got no outlet. And all these people have got the opportunity. And they were wasting it they were on this rubbish that they were doing, this wet rubbish. Uh, I would take them to task. As they left the stage, I would tell them to, to pick it in. You know, and say, you are absolutely fucking shite. Well, you stop it. You know, you are really crap. You offend my ears. You know, uh, I was I was horrible to them. I was also horrible to a guy called James Brown. Not James Brown, the, the soul singer. I would, I would have been quite deferential to him. But James Brown, who went on to become the uh, editor of Loaded magazine, you know, the lads mag. And I was horrible to James Brown. I was horrible. Sorry, James, if you listen to this. I don't suppose you will. Um, so that was that was what was going on. I can't have been too bad, you know, because people, um, my friends never never told me, oh, you're a dick or, you know, didn't fall out with me. And uh, I never got thrown out. But I did get my comeuppance and I did deserve it. Um, in what I suppose was an ironic booking, the um, a version of the Bay City Rollers played at the boardwalk one Saturday night, Eric's Bay City Rollers. And now none of the usual boardwalk crowd are there. What is there is perhaps around 80 women in their early 30s. Excuse me, I'm just going to have a cough. Um two women in their early 30s and um and everybody's just having a good time you know singing along to bye bye baby and and stuff uh and whenever the rollers try and play something new uh going to the bar ignoring it anyway why i can't just accept it as a bit of fun i don't know but the rollers finish and i approach uh, eric the main roller, who, of course, has been one of the biggest pop stars in the world in the 1970s and now is reduced to being a novelty act for 
uh, a bunch of a small bunch of, of of drunken women, and I start laying into him, telling him he's rubbish, and etc. Uh, etc. Et really unpleasant, really unpleasant, uncalled for, unprovoked, all my fault. So Eric throws a punch at me, and he's a big fellow. He's about six foot three. <coughs> I'm really well built. He's not the skinny kid that he'd been. Uh, anyway, I duck that and throw a punch at him, which is a bad move, because then he catches me square on the jaw and I'm seeing stars. And the flurry of blows all from him. And he's giving, <laughs> he's giving me a right pasting before people pull us apart, thankfully. And, uh, and, and I can try and retain a sense of dignity by going, come on, come on, and pretending that I want to uh, get back into a tussle with him. I didn't. Uh, it served me right. It taught me a lesson. And Eric, thank you. And I'm sorry for saying anything bad to you. Um, it, was, it was not nice. And I deserved it. So anyway... That's going on. Football's also changing. That's what's noticeable is several times I'm at football matches to away games, and um, I end up um, doing a bit of itching, and I end up in vans with people younger than me, and the whole sort of um, demograph has, has, has changed. These are not blatant yobos. These are not sort of a Slade Gary Glitter. Um, you know, let's get pissed and break something, guys. They're much sort of cooler. There's not a lot of alcohol about. There's a lot of cannabis about, which is in, you know, if you go in the 70s, somebody smoking cannabis was just weird to a football supporter. Um, a lot of cannabis. And the music's changed. They've all got um, much more sophisticated taste. Uh, I remember... They all like they all like talking heads. So we're going to play talking heads because this reminds me of football in the mid eighties. So this is slippery people by talking heads.
Um, I got the opportunity to move into um, a house not far from Bobby's. Um, my friend Colin and his wife Sue split up and they wanted rid of the house. Um, so they let me move in um, t as a temporary renter with a view of seeing if I wanted to buy it. So I moved, I moved into uh, this house um, that seemed okay. It was nice to have a, a base of, of my own. And um, I live next door to a fella called Nicky Cockatello, who was an old friend of Stephen Bob's. Nicky was uh, an Olympic judo uh, athlete and uh, a drummer. Anyway, Simon is still around. There's Bobby there, all on all this sort of locale. And uh, Simon is very keen that we form a band. And I say, no, I don't want to be a band. I really don't want to be. But they make it so easy and promised they'll come and pick me up. They'll drop me off. We can do whatever I want, everything is put on a plate for me. And uh, we've got somewhere to rehearse in this big house where um, where Nicky Cucatello's parents live. Um, so we start rehearsing this band and it seems okay. Um, and then uh, we end up called the Uchi Comies, which was a phrase that Nicky presented us with. Uh, it was a, a judo term for repetition of movement. Uh, but, the, you know, we're doing this stuff. I think we've got one really good song of our own and the rest of all, it's all very sub-clash. It's not really what I want to do. It's not what I'd be listening to. And um, the, other, the other good song that we've got is I've got three friends, Karen, Sue and Rhonda, who um, have, have come up with this song that they sing uh, under the influence of alcohol on nights out, uh, called The Horse's Tail, this spoof country and western song uh, that we incorporate into the Uchikomis act. Um, so I find myself in this band and we play a gig and it's okay. I mean, oh, wow, that was good, that was good. You know, but um, we, we return to play a week later and I realise it was just the uh, adrenaline and after two songs, I can't think of anywhere that Elise wants to be, apart from, you know, on, on that stage, I'm really unhappy. And so I have a David Bowie moment, you know, that the band are blissfully unaware of. And after two songs, I say, uh, thank you for being here. Tonight is a special night, because not only is it our second gig, it is the last gig that we will ever play, and um, and and so I retire on on stage, and uh, and that's the end of the Uchi Comies. Um because we just weren't doing what I was doing. I was listening to good music, and we weren't playing. Ultimately, we weren't playing good music. Um, it's no good. I'll tell you what, what come out. You know, there's lots of with everything. What doesn't have to be new. That's the thing with music. You know, and people can can be great in different periods. And one of the great, 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 great records of the era was Leonard Cohen's I'm Your Man. And one of the great tracks on I'm Your Man 
was Tower of Song. So let's listen to Tower of Song by Leonard Cohen. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song I said to Hank Williams How lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet But I hear him coughing All night long Oh, a hundred floors above me In the Tower of Song
when I'll be back They're moving us tomorrow to that tower down the track But you'll be hearing from me, baby Long after I'm gone I'll be speaking to you sweetly from a window in the tower of song So, I've been in the house a few months, and um, I decide I might as well stay. Um, so I, um, I'm working, of course. I'm, I'm not telling you this. I'm, I'm working. I'm working um, for a fella called called Mike, who has um, he started this green grocery shop business, and I'm the uh, brains behind it. I'm uh, I'm the technician, and it, it becomes a chain of things with a huge turnover and lots of shots and stats with me as the main man, never overpaid, always with a carrot dangling that one day, one day things will be better for me and all that. But that's another, another sort of tale. Anyway, I'm working. So I'm in a position to get a mortgage and buy a house. So I get the mortgage and there's work needs doing which uncovers more work which needs it. And it and it turns out that the house is falling to pieces and uh, and it needs lots of money spending on it. It's really depressing. And I remember coming in, some workmen were plastering the wall and, and they'd got to there's, there's another coat of plaster got to go on it. But I'd come in and uh, there's a huge swash sticker in the plaster on the wall. But such was was the time. People were evil. X, there were, you know, it was it was horrible, and it, it was sort of symptomatic of, of that house. The house was 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 crap. It wasn't so much. I, I'm not emotionally suited to owning a house. Uh, it wasn't that I particularly wanted to go somewhere, um, but I felt like it was a um, ball and chain. I felt like I was just working to. To, for for this house to to be there, I don't. I'm not one of these properties theft things particularly. I am to a degree, but that wasn't it. It was it was that I felt trapped by this object, by this bricks and mortar. Um, not a nice feeling. I don't I don't like houses. I'm glad I've never owned a house since. Uh, I know that doesn't make any economic sense, but I was just emotionally unsuited to it. 
but anyway, things are sort of going um, well uh, on the surface of things, except I'm not in a band, um, but I'm working, you know, and I'm putting lots of effort into making that get up and go. And uh, and I'm very popular, would you believe? I'm, I'm really, really popular. Every, everywhere I go, people want wants to talk to me certainly locally although i'm not popular with our landlords i live in the in the town i'm from denton i think at, at one point i counted uh, there were 32 pubs in denton and at one point or other i'd been barred from every single one of them um nightmare i, would, I just tended to be a little bit naughty and uh, and 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 it would wind up landlords aplenty so i was barred from everywhere. Anyway, apart apart from being barred from pubs, I was still going to lots and lots of gigs, um, really, really great gigs at uh, the Boardwalk. I remember seeing MC 900 Foot Jesus and DJ Zero, who were perhaps the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Also, Labac, who were great. Uh, I saw Mary Margaret O'Hara, at the International, who I absolutely loved their album. Ah, oh, Miss America, it was, it was so brilliant. And then in, in bigger gigs, not big, big gigs, they've never really had big, big gigs, but at the Apollo, I saw Laurie Anderson, fantastic Laurie Anderson. I love Laurie Anderson, so funny and intelligent, always making points. Yeah, so playful. Um, and, the biggest one of all, the one that I can still hardly believe that I saw him, I went to see Miles Davis in 1986. I saw Miles Davis as he toured 2-2, which wasn't his finest hour, but it wasn't bad at all. And he um, he wasn't the physical presence that he'd been earlier in his career. Well, this is Miles Davis. I have seen Miles Davis. How many people can say that? Anyway. It was it was great to see Miles and Two uh, Two soundtracked a lot of what I was doing at the time. And my favourite track on Two Two was Splatch, which we're going to play. So um, I will say me goodbyes now and leave you to a Splatch. So it's goodbye to Phil, goodbye from him, goodbye from me, Ian, goodbye to Helen, goodbye to you, listeners. We love you. Thank you for all your feedback. Please come back again and tell all your friends about what we talk about. Don't make this a secret society. We love you. Bye-bye.
Thank you, Miles Davis. And thank you, Ian, for another thrilling episode of Flowing Backwards. So, don't forget, www. I lost how many W's I did then. <laughs> Never mind. www.flowingbackwards.co.uk And on Facebook, it's Flow Backwards. So, Get on there and have a look. See if there's anything interesting on there. You may be able to send a link to your friends as well. Because we don't want to just be talking to Mike Kerrins and and um, one or two others. We want the world to know. Anyway, so we're going to go out today with a little Richard song. Because sadly... We lost him on the 9th of May, 87 years old, and what a genius. Anyway, bye from me. See you soon. <laughs>